I, don't, I forget now whether it was Tuesday or Wednesday. It was one of those days. Maybe it was Tuesday. I went to see Kevin. And so as we were talking, our conversation turned toward eternity, and we were discussing finishing the assignments that God gives us. And, you know, in Kevin's situation, he doesn't know, does he have days, months, weeks, years? We don't, we don't know. And so as we were discussing that, I left considering the talents, considering what was, you know, the, what is an assignment? Something that God calls us to do, something we're supposed to do. And then how do, you know, there, there's, I know in books, there's always the, um, and, and I, there's a quote about this, you know, when someone passes on, we always find then, you know, there's the, the half, the half knit sweater they were working on, or the, the, you know, you go out into the shop and there's like a, a half finished project on the, on the woodworking table. And there's, so we, we always have that, what feels to us very much like unfinished business that we didn't finish it. And so I've been thinking about this as I was on the film set. In fact, I, I had enough time several times when I was just waiting around. So my notes got put on the back of a preliminary call sheet. So that's what I'm preaching on today. And I'm just, I'm calling it heaven, a master and his servants. And what do you think heaven is like? Like, do you find it as an eternal repose where people are just resting forever? Now, if you're very, very tired and you're working all the time, maybe that would be a nice thing. You're like, it's just one nap after the next. Like, maybe that's what you think. But, but like, really, what is heaven like? Because what if instead of it being eternal rest and static glory, what if it actually is finally being able to do what we were made to do. Because if you look back at the beginning in Genesis and you see that we were designed for work, we were designed to do something. And then we get ourselves in this situation with, with sin and we fall short of the glory of God and we, our, the work of our hands is basically cursed. Like that is part of the curses that we're fighting against the thorns and the thistles and the constant, you know, the, the second law of thermodynamics shows up and other things like that. And we're suddenly struggling to do the very thing that God has wanted us to do. But we weren't cursed with work. Work was a blessing that God gave us. And then the curse came later and impacted the work of our hands. And so if you think about that, you think, okay, so part of being rescued from the brokenness of the world is that curse on the work of my hands being gone. Now, you know, we actually have a harp in the house today because we're going to be having special music, but sometimes that's all we think about heaven. It's like, okay, we're all going to just sit around in little clouds and go ring, 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 and play the harp. You know? It's not like that. The glimpses that we um, get in Revelation and Ezekiel and other places, it sounds like an awe-inspiring place, heaven, eternity. It sounds like there's warriors there, and it sounds like there's people... In, coming and going. There's a lot of activity happening in eternity. And so as a result, I think we need to adjust our picture of heaven from eternal, you know, and maybe you don't have to adjust it. Maybe your picture is just fine. But I know that for myself, when I was a child, we would sing this song, work for the night is coming, work. And, and the whole song, it was, a, it was from a poem, I think, by one of our American poets. And it, it ended with the line, work, Work for the night is coming when man works no more. And so 
there is a truth in it in that there is a certain amount of work we can do here on earth and there comes a time when our work is done, we can't do anything more. We cannot reach back from the grave and do, keep working and doing the things that we had an opportunity. So there's a certain sense of, of urgency that is necessary for us to have to say, okay, God has given me something to do. I want to be doing it. But then the line, when man works no more, that the idea that we will not be working on the other side, that's the one that I want to think about a little bit today. So what I'm doing is I wanted to go ahead and read. Um, there are several parables that Christ gives us, and one of which he specifically says the kingdom of heaven is like. And so he talks about this. And this is actually where my conversation with Kevin started the other day. We were talking about these two. So first, I wanted to turn, and we'll read from Luke chapter 19. So we have Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. So Luke 19, 11 through 27. And we're also trying a different set of lights in here than what we've been using the, last, the past. So um, we, we tried a whole bunch of new things today and we're running out of time, but <laughs> we did good. So, so uh, Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 11 through verse 27. We're working on it. Luke is in the New Testament, like the third gospel, I think, or something like that, okay? <laughs> All right, <laughs> you do awesome. Okay, you got it? Do you have it for them out there too? Because we're a short team. Okay, awesome. So here we go. Luke 19, verse 11 says, well, now I'm on the wrong page. Okay, <laughs> Luke 19, verse 11 now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants, delivered to them 10 minas, and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has 10 minas. But they said to him, master, he has 10. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given and from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. So this is a, a pretty strong picture, but we have the image of the, of the master who leaves 
the nobleman who goes into the far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Now, this, this puts it on pretty plain language for us when we look at scripture because we see that when Christ rises, rises from the dead and he returns, he goes back to the Father to receive from him. And where does he sit? He sits on the throne. And so we see this picture of Christ being that nobleman who goes into the far country and he shows up, uh, he, he gives us something to do before he leaves. He says, you know, and we, we, we quote Matthew 28, we quote several of those scriptures quite a bit where it says, go and make disciples. So we've been given work so do business till I'm come. And it reminds me of when Jesus was in the temple and he said, don't you know I need to be about my father's business? The father has business. He's something that he is about. He's some, there's something he's trying to accomplish and do. And so Christ gives us this. And it says immediately that some of the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Now, when, I first, when you first just read through it, then it seems like, okay, that the citizens have rejected him. It seems as if it's over, but you keep reading, and when he returns, there are actually some who did what he said, who actually went and took the mina, the, the money, and did something that they were supposed to do, invested it, spent it, worked with it, whatever, and managed to bring back more they, have, they had earned, like the, the, I, your mina has earned 10 minas. And so you have this very clear picture and he, is, he, he says, well done to the 10. He says, well done to the five. And he says, well done. Um, do we have one that just does one here? No, we only have 10 and five that's showing here. Okay, now let's turn over to Matthew chapter 25 and read this, the account of the talents. That was the one that we're often most familiar with. So Matthew chapter 25. And I'll make sure I'm on the right page before I make sure you're on the right page, okay? <laughs> Matthew 25, verse 14. And we're going to be going all the way down to verse 30. So Matthew 25, verse 30. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also, and he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him, give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. 
and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so, when we read this, there are several pieces that come to mind. One is just the, the fear that the one has. You see, in our economy, in America, we often say something like this, it takes money to make money. We say that. And, and, and what we mean is, oh yeah, if you have enough money, you can go buy real estate and you can invest this and you can do that, but if you don't have any money, you can't invest it. And so we will often look at the one thing that we have and say, well, if I had money, this is what I would do. And I've had people tell me things like this where they're, in, in, they're well-intentioned. They're saying, if, if I, you know, and some of them will say, if I won the lottery, I would help you out. If I had money, I would give to whatever project I'm working on or whatever. And they, they talk about it. Like if, if I had it, I would give it. And so the intention is good, but the reality, the question becomes, all right, so are we like the guy with the one talent going, I'm afraid, he's a hard master, and I don't know how to do it with one, so go dig it, bury it in the ground and don't do anything because I might not do it well enough. And so if you think in terms of the callings that God has for us, there are times when we look around and we see someone, we say, wow, look, they have this many different giftings and callings, and it just seems that they are covered in, in favor and are golden, and they're just able to do whatever they need to do. If I was like that, I would also serve the Lord. But all I have is this. And so, as a result, we end up not having anything because we're afraid, or, or maybe it's like this. We look at it and say, okay, you know, I can see myself do something with this. I can see using the gifting and the calling, but you know, when I do it, I've seen other people do kind of a shoddy work with this, and I don't want to do another, like, let's take filmmaking, for example. We see someone, we, they make a movie, and we say, ah, oh, that was a cheesy Christian movie. I'm never going to make one like that. When I make the Christian movie, it's going to be awesome. And so here comes the opportunity to make a movie, and we say, well, I'm not quite ready to make an awesome movie, so I'm not going to make it yet. And so then the next year comes around, and people say, well, you had that idea. Are you going to make a movie? And we hem and haw, but what's secretly happening is we have judged everyone else harshly for their work that they did, which might have been to the best of their ability with using all the talent they had and investing everything they had into it. And we might say, well, I can't do it top-notch, so I am not doing it. And so as a result of that, we end up not doing anything because we're afraid. And so perfectionism, we call it, we call it different things, but that, so this can happen to us. And so this, if you think about every possible calling that we could have in life, this is what can happen to us. We can literally be frozen and say, I can't do that because I'm afraid and I cannot do it well. And, and this is, I think, part of what this parable is about, what the kingdom of heaven is like, is that when he said, go and make disciples, he wasn't taking away every other command that had ever been given. And so if you look back at the beginning of the book, you find that we've been given work to do with our hands. And then we find the sweat of the brow, we find you know, some of the curse and stuff that's there. And so I know that even you know, for myself, in the Amish, we would look, we'd look towards some communities and some families and say, oh, uh, you know, for instance, there are some grabers that are wealthy and they just, whatever they work on, it, 
they make money. They have nice houses, even the, you know, the Amish ones. But there's another set of Grabers that was us. And we didn't make money like that. I mean, it would, we would work, we were all hard workers, but we just didn't have that little touch to just turn every business deal into our favor. And so our business deals were more like, well, that was a life experience. And so, and so it, was, it was just, you know, so, you'd, so we would say that. We'd look at it and say, and so at some point you say, okay, well, I'm not doing anything ever again anymore because it just doesn't work out. But that's not quite right either. And so, so I think of that. You know, we look at different communities, different people, and we see where their diligence is paying off, and we see their discipline, and, and it's working. They're really doing well. And what was fascinating for me is it is sometimes possible for us to look at someone else and see what they're doing, and we see it one way, and then they're looking back at us. Remember, when I was going to school, there was a, a, we had a reader where uh, one of the lessons that we'd read was this account, and I think it was from literature. I don't know where the story comes from, but there was a, there was a little boy who every evening, he would look across the valley, and over on the other side of the valley, there was the house with the golden windows. And he longed and wished that he could live in the house with golden windows. So he had a vacation day, and so he packed a picnic lunch, and he was going to go find the house with the golden windows. So he hikes all day down into the valley and over up the other side, and he's going, and, he, and toward the end of the day, he's sitting outside a house, and he's like, he kind of thought he had gone the right way, but this house just has normal windows just like their house, and he's sitting there discouraged because the house... And so someone, the, the little girl comes out of the house and says, you know, asks him what he's looking for. And he says, well, I was looking for the house with the golden windows. And I thought it was over here. And she says, oh no, it's across over there. And she points back at his house on the other side of the valley. <laughs> because, and she said, every morning you can look out and you can see it's the house with the golden windows. And, <laughs> and so there, that happens, you know, where our perspectives because of what we see and what we perceive, that can, that can happen to us. And so sometimes we need to actually talk about what is success and what, you know, what, what are we defining as success? And this is especially f- true for me in the creative world because I can look at, a, you know, you can, you can make the top grossing films in the world and say, here's the list, the top 10. And then you say, so you're, you, Joseph, you're called to be a filmmaker. When are you going to make one of those? What if I'm not called to make that? What if I'm called to make something over here that hits a particular niche of people that needs to be encouraged in their faith? And so let's say that I looked at this group of people over here and said, I don't want to encourage them. I don't want to make that kind of movie. I'm going to go to Hollywood. I'm going to try to climb that ladder and I'm going to do that. I could spend my entire life chasing that dream. And at the end, even if I made a blockbuster at some point that people by the world's standards would say that was successful, I would not have been successful if my calling was over here. So this is important to keep in mind. We're not just comparing bank accounts. We're not just comparing the year models of cars or what phone you're using. And I don't even want to pick up mine because it it has a broken screen right now. (laughs) But like, so it, it doesn't, that's not what we're looking at specifically to, to say, ah, are you successful? What we're asking is, are you doing what God has called you to do? And in the kingdom of heaven, in the church, we can get stuck on some very specifics. 
And we can say, oh, okay, so everyone's supposed to make disciples. So we say, who's making disciples the best, fastest, greatest, quickest possible way? All right, everyone, go do that. And we miss it again, because we're all called to make disciples, but we're also all called, and we've all been given gifts, and we're part of the body, and we have something to do. What is it that you've been given to do? And so one of the questions as we look at this is, has God made you for a purpose? Answer is yes, God has made you for a purpose. Second question, do you feel like you're fulfilling it? How about, do you feel like you're fulfilling it perfectly? Do you feel like you're fulfilling it a little bit, partially? Are you hindered by weakness, sin, the curse, the flesh, other people, your siblings? Like, who's holding you back? Is it your own inadequacy? What's keeping you from doing what God has called you to do? So that's one question that we consider. And then the next question we consider is, have you ever had that moment where you felt the pleasure of God in something that you were doing? And you said, wow, God has made me for this. Now, this is the, you know, the account with Eric Little when he, is, when he was talking to his sister and said, you know, God has called me to China and I'm going to go to China, but God has also made me fast. And when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. That is, there's something really powerful in that. God has designed each of us to do something. And when we're doing what he's called us to do, you may not have physical pleasure. It may not taste like lemon meringue pie, but it's, there is something about it that makes you feel the pleasure of God. You say, I am doing what I'm called to do. It's like when you are, um, if you've ever done really, a really hard day's work, or you've, uh, I remember on the, when I would work on the green chain at the lumber mill, when you first get there, the green chain, by the way, it's the green wood coming out, so it's still wet and sappy, but it's all been cut down to the rough sizes, and then they're going to actually dry it a little bit and then plane it down to the two by four size. So, it's, so a two by four would actually still be two by four inches when it comes off the saw at the green chain, but it's, it's spitting them out. Like the big, the, big, the, the big blade is cutting out these cants that are about this big, and then it runs them through this machine that has multiple blades in it and it goes and spits out like five, six, seven, eight, two by fours at the same time. And then it's on the chain there in front of you and it starts moving. And so it's clearing them down this way. And before it gets down to the end where the slabs and the trash goes, you've got to pick them all up and stack them correctly on the pallets behind you. So when you first show up, first day green chain, you don't have the right gloves, you don't know what's going where, and you're picking up all this stuff and you're trying to get it over there and your hands are getting sappy and, and juicy and if it's cold, they're freezing and you're hurrying and you're trying to get things in the right place and, and the boards go wonky and, and, and you're, wait a minute, I'm letting one get away and you're, so you're chasing all the, and so it's a whole different story. I don't know if you've ever seen that was it a video with the, the lady working at the chocolate factory? And she's, she was trying to put the chocolates in the box and suddenly she just grabs a bunch and throws them back up the chain. Well, you don't want to do that because then suddenly there's a big pile coming at you and you've still got to deal with it. So what's fun is after you've been working there for a while and you've got it figured out and you have a system in place. And so maybe it's you and another guy working on the green chain and you get, the, you get it down to a perfect system. And so there'll be that afternoon when suddenly... The perfect logs are coming in. They're all about the same size. They're making the exact same 
cancer as they're coming through. They're being run through. Everything is working just beautifully. And as they're coming down, you're in high gear. Now, there is no moment to lose. You're working hard. You're sweating, but you're doing it. And if someone would have said, asked you just somewhere else, like, what do you think is fun? What do you want to do for fun? You would never have pointed to that moment and said, this is fun. But in that moment when you're being successful and you're working hard and the stacks are being made correctly and the forklift operator is able to come and like bind them and haul them off every so often and you're being successful, that's awesome. And I love that part. And so I think there is something in the pleasure of God when we are getting our work done that is like that, is that God makes us on purpose to do work, to do something. And now there will be some people who, after just a week or two working on the green chain, they say, I believe God has called me to office work. I'm going to be an accountant. I'm never doing this again. There are others who are like sitting in the office going, man, I wish I could be back in the lumber yard. You know, that was so much better. And so there are certain places in my life where I walk in and the smells that I smell and the things that I see, like if I walk into a mechanic shop, I have spent many an hour working on cars in a mechanic shop. So when I smell the solvent and I smell all the different pieces in there, I, I kind of just want to stay for a while. It's nice in there. And there are other people who are like, oh, no, sir, get me out of here. So I have certain places where basically what happened was I, the work of my hand was blessed by my creator while I was there. And I was able to do it unto the Lord and sense his pleasure while I was working. So it's not always just very specifically only your life calling, but it's also a part of who you are. Now, I believe that for various reasons, God was actually wanting me to learn how to build a house, how to do cars. He gave me such a wide variety of work that I did as a young man that the it, well, it actually works great as a filmmaker um, because there's so many of them that all work together. It also works great as a missionary. It, works, it just works great taking care of your own house and cars and stuff too. And so I, I just think the, the training was really awesome. So I am grateful for those times, but there, there are some of those places where I look back, like the mechanic shop I just told you about. There were days and days and days, weeks and months where I would be in there working and I'd be praying, Lord, how long? How long am I here before I can go on to do the next thing? Why am I here still? And I'd be, Lord, I'm trying to understand everything. I'm trying to create all the relationships possible. I'm trying to learn everything. I'm working hard. I want to finish well, but why am I still here? I don't want to leave. I, I, mean, I, do, I want to leave. I just, I really think you've called me to something else because there was a calling that was tugging at my heart and it had to do, at the time I wasn't clear exactly how all it was supposed to come out, but I knew that I was supposed to speak for the Lord. And so I was doing the gospel chalk drawings, and I was going around to churches, drawing pictures, doing the chalk presentations, and I'd do those in weekends and evenings, and I thought, Lord, if I could only do that full time, that would be awesome. That would be truly fulfilling what you've given me to do. And so I was looking at other chalk artists who were doing it full time, and so I felt a little bit like, you know, here I was standing with my, and, and when I went to chalk art classes, we, you know, we'd have an instructor come in and say, here's, I'm going to show you this particular set of clouds today, and I'm going to show you how this works. And so we'd all be working away at it, and then suddenly I'd look over my shoulder and be like, really? Just look at that. So one of the other students would be far surpassing even our instructor in their ability to draw these clouds. And I thought, I'm over here like working and dusting and it's, 
you know, move your easel so no one can see what you have, you know, so. <laughs> but like, there was always those that were better artists than me. And so then I would start chatting to them and I quickly discovered that the degree of your artwork, the, the perfection of your artwork, did not determine how many opportunities you had for speaking. In fact, some of the people, I went and chatted with them and they were like, well, I'm here because my parents sent me here. Like, so what are you doing? Do you, like, are you going to, and I, and, you know, are you going to want, are you speaking in places? And they'd be like, I hope not. And I'm like, but you're here. Like, that's why I'm here. I was here because I wanted to speak, because God had called me to speak truth. But you're here because your parents sent you, and you don't, you don't, you're hoping you don't have to speak, you know? That's a big difference. They're not in their calling, even though they have a gifting here, so their artwork needs to be gone. They need to take that art somewhere else. There's something else they're supposed to be doing besides drawing pictures to talk to an audience. And so I kept seeing that. And then I would see people who were out and they would be really successful. They would be doing so many chalk drawings. And I would measure, and I felt kind of like the guy here with the one talent going, okay, so there you are, and you're doing all of that, and it seems that no matter how hard I work, you know, I'm getting about 15 chalk drawing opportunities a year. I don't like this. And at that point, I could have thrown it away, but I knew it was from God. This was from the Lord. I needed to keep going. So I kept working. So we're at the peak, I was about at 75 chalk drawings a year. And so that was still not my full-time chalk drawing dream. I still always had to have a job. I still always had to do something else, but it was something. And what I didn't fully understand was that it was also training ground for what was to come. So everything I've done as I've embraced the work of my hands, I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to learn from here? It has been preparation for the next thing. And so when we came into filmmaking, suddenly I realized that I had been working with audiovisual pre uh, presentations for quite a while where I'm drawing something, telling a story. Well, now with filmmaking, I get to use a different sort of canvas and be sketching out a different story, but I get to fine tune it. We can work on it for days and years sometimes and, and to finish this thing and make it beautiful and then we release it and someone sits there, they hear it, they see it, and it can be very impactful. So I still love doing the gospel chalk presentations, but I'm glad that I can do the film stuff. Well, it didn't take me long in film to also realize that it's work. And, and this was the, you know, the, the, the you, at some point in your life, you think, if I could only do my dream job, it's that phrase, you know, do what you love and you'll never work another day in your life. Uh-uh. <laughs> that is a little bit misleading, okay? <laughs> because even if you just want to go skiing for every day for the rest of your life, let me tell you something. There comes that day when you snag that little spruce tree in the woods and you kind of stretch something. And the next day, if you hop back out on the lift, and you're going up there, you're like, man, maybe I should have stayed home today. And you're like all day long, like, oh yes, I'm having fun, I'm having fun, but it hurts. You know? And so even if you're just doing what you love, your body deals with, so there is a certain level of truth to it that if we are doing what God has called us to do, that's awesome because then we're willing to sacrifice, we're willing to hurt, we're willing to take the pain of making it happen. But at the end of the, of the, the at the end, when we're looking at all the pieces, what we're wanting to hear is God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And so what did we do with what he gave us and did we do what he wanted us to do? That's really the, the question. And what I am so grateful for is that the Lord has made a way for us to do what we have been called to do and enjoy it. 
it is not just a veil of tears and sorrow. You know, I have personally chatted with people who were not submitting to the Lord because they said, I can see so clearly that if I submit to the Lord, my life is going to be lonely and sad for the rest of my life. And I'm like, no, what you're looking at right now is the lens of Satan and hell, and you're looking at the world, and you're not understanding that if you will walk with the Lord, he himself is everything you need, but he doesn't stop there. He blesses us with each other, with fellowship along the way, with these moments when, when you suddenly realize, yes, I'm doing what God has called me to do. Yes, I had to sacrifice. What did I have to sacrifice from? Well, what it ends up being, what, we, what we, our sacrifice often is, is somewhere along in our youth, you know, and, and I have one of these, for instance, I keep thinking I would love to invest in a bunch of real estate and own a bunch of houses, okay, then rent them out. And I have this dream, right? And so I'm like, that would be so much fun. And I've taught with people who've done it who are having fun, and I've taught with people who are doing it who are not enjoying it at all. And so what I realize is that for me, I could say, I want to do this, I have this dream. I want to have, and because if I do this, you know, just think, um, and I can't say this anymore, but back then I would say, if it, by the time I'm 40, I could not have to work anywhere and I'd be free to serve the Lord because I could be getting the income from each of my houses. So this would be awesome. Well, guess what? God had work for me to do and it wasn't owning all those houses. And guess what? He can provide for me. I actually don't have to figure out every part of how he's going to provide for me. It's good for me to be diligent. It's good for me to be looking at the resources at hand and saying, what should I be doing? In fact, when I moved up here in 2013, I don't remember which week it was because we were four or five weeks looking for uh, getting settled and figuring out where the church was going to be, where we were going to be. There, there was a lot happening, right? And I remember... At one point, I kind of freaked out and I went and got a job. Well, I never started the job. I just got hired for the job and they were like, when you're ready, you can come in. But they were waiting for the confirmation. And in that time, I was going, why? I did not come here to get to do, that. that's not my purpose in being here. I'm supposed to be working on this film project. I'm supposed to be helping start this church. Those are the two things I'm doing. But yeah, but you know, Lord, if I do that, I'm gonna use up all my life savings to make this happen. And that's kind of scary. So what? I asked you to do these two things, so get with it. And so I ended up never working a day on that job, but I got hired on. So there was, maybe it was just because I needed the confirmation that I could go get a job if I needed one. I don't know what it was, but I just remember being like, what am I doing? Like, I should be working as hard on what God has asked me to do as I am on this job situation. So I remember starting the whole film thing and thinking, I don't know where I'm going with this and starting with the church thing. And, and we were like praying about where we're headed with it. And so the Lord blessed that season, but it wasn't a time for me to be paying my own way. I mean, I kind of still was, we were using our resources, but God began to provide for us and to use his provision to definitely confirm and say, yes, this is where I want you to be. And that's important. If I am able to finance my own way, that's awesome. But I always have to have a reason to go back and ask the Lord to confirm that I am doing what he's called me to do. Because he's given me something and he says, go do business with this. And so when, when I read the parable of the talents, we can say, okay, it's spiritual gifts and callings. But it's also the actual money and your family of origin and where you grow up and what you learn. Um, you know, I, I was just, I had one of those little moments a couple 
months ago, I think the pop-offs were up and Caleb Nichols was back and Caleb and Walter were having this conversation about a ministry they would like to start. And so I'm listening in. It was just right over here after church. We're eating together. I'm listening in on the conversation. And what they were talking about was they wanted to start a ministry to help young men learn how to change oil and how to build things and do uh, things around the house. And I'm thinking about it like, that's no ministry. Like, that's just what you do. And I'm thinking, aha, my place where I came from, my family of origin, this was just part of our life. It was life skills. It's what men do. They were coming from a different place. They had a different need. And so here I am, and I'm, I'm thinking, so this is really odd. Like, I have a lot of the skills that they're talking about wanting to learn, but I have an assumption that any young man or person in my life that we're doing, we're just going to do these things, and they'll probably learn it by doing it with me. And so I'm not ever going to start that ministry. But they come with a different need, and so they are more likely to actually start a ministry to do something that I'm just doing. And so this goes, you know, if you think about, uh, this goes in so many areas where it's the, the need that you have experienced becomes part of what God is calling you to address, which is fascinating because you would think that it would be, let's take the expert and let's make him run this ministry. Well, the expert might have come by it very easily. So back in my chalk art training days, um, we had various different instructors that were really good in different ways. The one that I learned the absolute most from was Matthew Bowman. And so Matt Bowman could just, he would come up there and he would say, now look at here, and he would make a shape. He said, that is the stroke, the shape you're going to make. And then you're going to do it about this size, about this many times, and that, that's a tree, right? And so he would show you step by step exactly what he was doing. Well, one day I heard the whole account. So he had this heart. He wanted to be a gospel chalk artist. He had zero talent. Like he says it, his dad says it, like everyone around him like, yep. The instructors, one of the instructors that I got to train him, like, yeah, he had no talent. And so he showed up, and so he was at the chalk art class going through the things, and one of his instructors was like, you know, you just need to go do something else because this just doesn't work for you. And so his dad says he would, after hours, he would come out to the room where they were doing the chalk art, and here would be Matt working and laboring over that easel, and he'd be crying and praying, Lord, help me figure this out. And so by the time he learned how to be, because he's an awesome artist today, but by the time he learned how to do it, he could tell anybody else how to do it as well. If he would have had just a natural talent just to go draw something, he would have done all the strokes and stuff without thinking about it, and he would have been a horrible teacher. As it was, he was an excellent teacher because he could tell you exactly how he did it. So for him, his calling, part of his calling, came from a place of pain, a place of need, and a place of lack. And so even as we're looking around us saying, well, look, I think that person has five talents or maybe God gave him 50 and I only have a half of a one or something, that may not be quite the proper way of looking at it because God is also in his business, go and do business till I come. When he's telling us to go, the gifts that he gives us might look different. So this is kind of like saying, um, you know, the gifts, it might be a negative bank account. Like, do you see that as a gift? Like, I personally don't, I didn't like it, but I'll tell you something. There was a day when, and this was what happened for me. I was, I, I used to, 
get my paychecks. I would look at them all. I'd write out the tithe check, take it to church, and like you know, it was always just part of what I did. Well, there came a point where I'd get to my, <laughs> I'd open the checking account, I look at the checkbook, and there was no money there. And I'm like, well, I just got a paycheck. Where did it go? And I'd be like, and then for a while, I'm like, there's no paychecks. I'm like, how am I going to do all this stuff? So I just remember there was a season in my life where every time I had decided after reading um, God's Smuggler by Brother Andrew, uh, there was a, an account in there where they, would, they were, would be sent out two by two on these missions. And as they would be going, they would, he was tithing. At the moment they got money, they would find a way to take a 10% of that money and give it to something else or do something with it. And they, just, and they shared stories of how much God blessed them. So I thought, well, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just, instead of wait till Sunday, I'm going to always get that money. And whether I take it to church on Wednesday night or whatever I do, I'm just going to immediately find a way to tithe that. Even if it means, uh, you know, finding someone out there that needs something, I'm just going to find a way to give it to the Lord immediately. And so I started doing that. Well, pretty soon when I would come to church on a Sunday morning and I actually had money to put in the basket, I'd be like, wow, God blessed me this week. And it changed. So if I hadn't have had all the negatives back there, I don't think I would have nearly appreciated what this meant finally. And so it was an awesome season for my life. But another example of this is, you know, um, some of us young, I was meeting with the young guys a couple Saturdays ago, and we were just talking about different people. And Dave Ramsey's name comes up in, in, in regards to finances and stuff. And so everyone has an opinion about Dave Ramsey. So I'll just tell you part of my opinion. I think that he is doing more for the American conservative politics than most politicians because he's giving more people the tools to be debt-free and to be making wise decisions who will then look at their elected politicians going, what are you doing? And so purely from that level, equipping someone to be in a, in a debt-free position and be doing well with their finances puts them in a different political mindset because they're going like, look, I worked hard for this and what are you, what's going on here? So if you look at Dave Ramsey's life story though, you know, there's that point in time when he is the real estate magnet. I think he was 24 years old. He's got $4 million in investments and he's got all of this stuff going for him. So all the amazing things. So you look at him, he's, he's up and coming. He's doing awesome. But what happens? He has a series of different loans that are all interconnected in different ways. And one day, one of the loans that he has that is, is multi-properties and different things, uh, the, the bank where it was held it got handed off to a new banker. Suddenly he has a new banker who is looking down the accounts and he finds this spot where he has a 24-year-old kid who owes him like $1.8 million. I don't know exactly what it was, but you know, something like that. And he goes, what is this? That's irresponsible. Why did that officer do this before? So he calls the loan. Well, he doesn't have the money to actually do this. So he ends up eventually on a very slow, dreadful topple losing all of it until he has nothing left except in his story, it's like one card table that they're using to eat at and do all their work at, right? So like they, they sell everything. And so they start off at the bottom and he builds back up. But when he builds back up, he's building up differently. So then he starts talking to all of us about how to manage your finances. We wouldn't have Dave Ramsey if he would have been successful the first time. And so this is, a, this is an important thing to keep in mind when we're looking at what God has given us. When he says, go do business, part of what he's saying is the thing that hurts you, the thing that brings you pain, if you bring that to the Lord and you say, okay, I want to be about your business and this thing right here is hurting me and it's bringing pain to me, what can I do with this? It is often part of the key to your calling of what you're supposed to be doing.
And so you look at your strengths, your gifts, your, the things that you enjoy doing, the pleasure, what you've had success at in the past. You look at the pain that is brought into your life. You look at all of these pieces and you say, this is what God has given me. I have this sort of pain in my heart. Because you know, when you talk with actors, uh, some of the best, you know, there, there's different kinds of acting, but like one way of dealing with, if you're put in a scene where you need to be emotional, one way of acting is they go there and they go to a personal experience that was deeply painful and they just take a moment, they go there and then they cry. And so then they, after they're finished, they have to kind of pull themselves back out, get over the grieving for that moment again. But you, you, after a while you learn that's a valuable asset. So you protect what it is that can make you cry. Because if you want to be an actor or an actress, you need to be able to cry. I remember years back, my sister would just, I, I found, I heard her crying in a room. I went in there and she was sobbing in front of the mirror. She says, I was just seeing if I could be an actress someday. <laughs> well, I was like, yeah, I think you could. <laughs> so, so I want us to be thinking in terms of all the ways that God has made us for something. And then I want to now think for a moment of those times, like Eric Little running, when he says, I feel the pleasure of God. That pleasure that we feel when we're doing what God has made us to do, I think that is actually one of the foretastes of heaven. There's something so beautiful about that when we are finally able to do the thing that God has called us to do. Because most of us don't just automatically do it. We work toward it. We get better. We overcome obstacles. We're finally getting closer and closer. And then at the last minute, it seems like it may never happen. And suddenly it's happening. And we're walking it. And we're looking around going, this is, I've been, this is what I've been wanting to do for years. And now I'm doing it. Or maybe it stays. So in that moment when you're doing the thing that God has called you to do, and you're sensing the pleasure of God, I think that really is a foretaste of heaven. That is a bit of what eternity is going to be like. By design, we have work here on earth that we may never be able to complete. And this is the hard part that I had to think about. God gives us something to do all the way up to the very end of our life. But this is not all that he has for us. There is something else later that he wants us to do. So let's read uh, Matthew 24, verse 45 to 51. So Matthew 24, verse 45. And this is right after Jesus talks about the, that no one, no one knows the day or the hour. And so then we have here, and he's, and he's telling us that be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So Matthew 24, verse 45 he says, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household and to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there's something about this work that this, this servant has been given that is daily. So he's, in this particular case, it's the, the master made him rule over his household to give them food in due season. So this is something that has to happen day after day after day. There is not a day when this servant can say, I have done it all, I'm finished, they will never hunger again. He can only be doing it daily over and over and over again until the master shows up. 
And so if you've ever been in charge of the, most of you moms know this, if you're trying to feed children, they get hungry all the time. You feed them, they want more. You feed them, they want more. You make the most elaborate, amazing meal, they eat it and say, can we do that again? We're hungry now. And so it just keeps happening. And so this is, this is a little bit of part of when we look at our calling. See, sometimes when we think of calling, we only single out accomplishment. We say, well, this is a huge accomplishment. So-and-so did that, that was amazing. Don't you, th- wouldn't it be amazing and awesome to be that person that made this huge masterpiece and has accomplished this? But what are they doing? They're over there in their office or the house or the garden or their, wherever they are, and they're working on the next thing that they're working on because they're not finished. It doesn't matter how big the accomplishment is, you're not done. There's always something more. And at first, this feels like Ecclesiastes where we say, vanity of vanities, no matter how hard we work, we're never done. And we want to quit. But it's not really. It actually is one of the gifts. When God says, here, do business till I come, he actually gives us enough work until he comes. There is something to be doing. So there is something to be praying about. There are people to be reaching out to. There's work of our hands to be doing. There's something in our gifting and our calling to be doing. And so we have plenty of work. And I think, based on this and and some of the other things that we're about to read, that it is safe for us to say that by design, our work and our calling here is created in such a way that we cannot complete it. We can't say, I'm completely done. We can complete a project. We can finish a Bible translation. We can finish a movie. We can release it. But our work isn't completely done. There are times in our life where we will, and I've felt this myself, where I I get one project out the door, it's launched, and I'm thinking, you know, right now I'm pretty content. If I was to die now, I I feel like I did a lot of work. This is good. But then it only takes like a day, maybe two or an hour or so, uh, just a little bit of time for me to be thinking. I'm like, I think God wants me to be doing this. And off I am on the next thing that God has for me. So the danger that we are trying to avoid by in what we read in the parable of the talents is that I can be made just as busy doing something that is not my calling as I can be in his calling. So for instance, the needs of the people around me might keep me busy all of my life. And I may never stop and ask, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And there was that point where the person comes to Jesus and Jesus, and, and Jesus says, follow me. And he's like, well, let me go bury my father. And he says, let the dead bury their own dead. And you're like, whoa, Jesus, that wasn't quite nice. Like that felt a little rude, like really? And yet there is a reality in it it's like that same phrase when they said, well, what about, why didn't we give this to the poor when they broke the alabaster thing and were wiping his feet? And he says, you will have the poor with you always. So the reality is that the brokenness of the world as we now have it, there will always be poor people. There will always be needy people. There will always be somebody saying, hey, I need you. I need you. Come over here. Come over here. And at some point, we have to look at our life and say, no, I am supposed to be doing this you're going to have to find someone else to do that. And it might be hard for us. And this is the difficult thing. But we have to be able to say no, because we don't want to come to the end. And where is our talent? Oh, it was buried under all the good deeds that we did for all of the things over here that were not even related to who we are. So 
I want to be aware of that and to make sure that we're thinking of that, that there is, if God has called us to do something specific, we want to be doing that. It doesn't say that when, that when the king comes back, he was looking for that servant and the servant was you know, out working in the barns and doing all the others. He, was, he had a specific job. There was another servant out in the barn. There's another servant out in the field. But what is your job? What is your gift, your calling, talent? And this is something that God wants to reveal to each of us. And sometimes we look at it and say, okay, Lord, I don't have an overwhelming like, call where I have to go to Uganda and then I have to go to deepest, darkest India and then I'm supposed to go to, you know, if, I don't, if you don't have a strong calling, rest in the calling that you do have. Don't feel like you have to manufacture something bigger. Because I did that. I would, I would try to think, Lord, I feel like you want me to speak for you. And so I, I would like to go to, um, oh, maybe I'll go to Kenya. Maybe I'll go. And so you try, I try, and, and, and in fact, there was at one point where I had a visa for an African country that I was trying to go to to work with a particular missionary and stuff. And it, I kept feeling as if God was saying, I actually would like for you to work here. And at first, I looked at the American field and said, it was too small for me. I was like, no, Lord, I don't want that, you know. Later, I looked at the American field and said, Lord, save me. Can I go anywhere except here? These people are hard. Do I have to be here? And yet, it was what God was doing. He was saying, I have something specific for you. And it is not what that person did or what that person did. It's for you. And so I have something for you. And so if we're willing to Thank the Lord for the things that come into our life. And, and by all means, don't just say no to every need around you just because you're trying to hear from the Lord what he's going to say. Stay doing those keep, because there's nothing like working the green chain or flipping burgers at McDonald's or something like that to make you suddenly determine, this is not what God wants from me. I have something else I should be doing. And suddenly focus happens and you're like, okay, what would it take for me to actually get the job and do what I'm supposed to be doing? Well, that's what those times are for. So let's not remove the pressure right away. Let's stay in that moment, keep working and praying and listening. Lord, what is it that you have for me to do? Because God has given us the business, something for us to be doing. If we look in Revelation chapter seven, there's this awesome moment. And for us, it's, I mean, it's actually Revelation chapter 22. It's number seven on my notes. Revelation chapter 22. It's at the very end of our scripture. We have this moment where we have a warning and we have Jesus speaking. In Revelation 22, verse 12 through 14. Revelation 22, verse 12 says, Behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Okay, as a child, we would read that and we ascribed it to our salvation. We said, ah, see, we have to, he's coming with his reward and he's gonna give something to the people. Uh, and so we would put that as that we will finally know whether we're saved when Jesus shows up. Um, and in the account that we didn't read there, Matthew, where, the, where Jesus 
brings in all the host of people and he separates the sheep from the goats, that whole thing. Well, we would put that and say, that is when we'll know whether we were saved. And so all of the work that we were doing was out of fear and terror. And we were trying to finish enough work and do enough right things, but we didn't know what those were. And so it was just a, a dreadful void of, of, there was no confidence, no, it was, and it was because we were trying to build our own salvation. Well, that's not what this is about. Because if we go back and we look, we find in, in Ephesians 2 and other places where we have this very clearly laid out that Jesus himself, by coming to earth, dying on the cross for us, was making it possible for us to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, where we actually belong to him, where we are part of the family of God, not because of the work we did, but because of what he had already done. Then at that point, when we are on our way to heaven and we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, let me tell you how the kingdom of heaven works. So this is now how the house rules for the, this is the house rules or the, the family rules for the kingdom of heaven. We're not talking to the unbeliever going, you need to make sure that you're hearing from God and doing what he's saying. We're telling the unbeliever, you need to repent, fall on your face before God, submit, surrender your life to him. Christ has made a way for you. And then once the unbeliever comes and submits and surrenders and gives their lives to Jesus, then we say, now let me tell you how the rules of our family work. Our father, the king, has given each of us something. He's given us gifts, he's given us callings, and we have a family business. And the family business has to do with communicating the truth of the creator God and the redeemer God and the king ruling God who is coming back again. This, we're, we're telling everyone about this. That's what we do as a family. We're a broadcast company, and we do this in small broadcasts in, you know, in our backyard as we're making gardens and talking with our neighbors. We do this in big ways with movies. We do this with, with actual radio broadcasts. We do this in a lot of different ways. We actually gather together. Yes, we do this. We actually come together, and everyone sits in neat little rows, and we actually preach just the word of God from here. We, that's just part of house rules. It's what we do as a body. And so somewhere in all of this, um, and sometimes we actually go to places where they eat other people and we go there on purpose and make friends with, with, with these cannibals and we learn their languages and we try to get them to know about Jesus too. Yeah, we, that's part of our family business. That's what we do. And, and yes, we do lose some of our members that way. And, and we, things happen, but it is our family business and it's what we do. And somewhere in all of this, there's a job for you because you're now part of the family. You belong to Jesus. So this is how we approach works in the Christian faith. It's not that we're saying, okay, way up yonder somewhere is God and we're way down here and so you gotta do enough good to reach up. No, we're not saying that. We're saying Jesus himself, the God, God himself came down and was here with us. He lived with us, he's died for us and he did all of this to call us to follow him and we're now his because of the work he did. So come, submit, surrender your life to him, confess your sins, turn from your wicked ways, come to him, and when we come, he makes us new. He gives us, everything is made new. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are new, and now you're part of the family. So here's the family business. And so that's where we are at this point, because then we say, and then he's coming back and his reward is with him. And he's looking at, you know, they're, they're, we have our bonuses in the kingdom of heaven are based on our uh, actual performance of how well we hear what he has for us to do. And we do that. It's not a comparison. Like we don't have these competitions where we see who can do the most of something. That's not the way it works in the kingdom. The, what's really important in the kingdom is that you're able to hear the king 
and do what he wants you to do. And so on some days, he might want you to sweep a floor, and another day, he might want you to fly an airplane into the Ecuadorian jungle and die for your faith, okay? It's just part of the family business. So what do you, you know, you need to make sure that you're able to hear what God is asking you to do. And so that's where we find ourselves when we come to this, the account of the talents, is that we can, we can become sidetracked and say, oh, if you're a Christian, you can only do these things. And we, when we forget that God didn't make us the king over everyone else. And so we start handing out and saying, here are the instructions, here's what you need to be doing. And people go, oh, really? Okay, and so suddenly they're very busy and we're helping them bury their talent instead of helping them hear from the king and do what they're supposed to do. So this is very important because I think within the body of Christ, we have an entire club of talent barrier people who they have their shovels and their best methods and they have the whole slogan, shoot, shut, shovel and shut up or whatever their slogan is. And they're trying to, and they're, they're encouraging one another with what they're doing, not realizing that what the part that we've missed is that there's a king in heaven and he has work for us to do. And when he comes, he's not gonna say, hey, did, the, did other people tell you what to do and did you do that? He's gonna say, I gave you something to do. Did you do that? And it doesn't matter how small, how humble, how boring, how trite, how repetitious that was. It doesn't matter if it was super amazing or not. The big question is, did you do what the king asked you to do? Because that's what we are there for. So we're told, uh, so, so here's what I was thinking about. I'm looking at these different accounts. I'm like, okay, okay, so what happens if I'm here on earth and I'm looking for the king to return because when he comes, he's going to have his rewards with him. What if I die before he comes? What if I die in the middle of a movie sometime and it's not finished? What if I'm writing a book and it's not finished? What do I do with that? You know, in some cases, um, the children will pick up the books of their parents and will finish them and get them published posthumously. In some, you know, there, there's those kind of things that happen, but what do we do with that? And I thought, but if I die first, and then Jesus, got, like, what about all this? And then suddenly it made sense to me over in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I want you to look at these words very carefully. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. And Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So I think this is very timely for us to think about. Okay, so let's say that we've been given a specific calling. We've been given work to do. We've been given something that is ours to do. And then we die. And all the people around us say, wow, that was too soon. You know, it just, it, it really struck me the other day because everybody, um, a couple weeks ago when Betty White passed away, and everyone was saying it was too soon, too soon. I'm like, she was 99 years old. Like, what were we expecting? Like, at some point, we, we reach a human limit that when is it too late to say too soon? Like, because I just was, you know, it was, it was fascinating how many people were like, wow, we, we miss her. And I'm like, I get it. We do miss each other when we die. Hmm. Did you think about this? We're eternal beings. She has gone on to be with the Lord in, the, in our 
<clears throat> faith, the person who dies, has gone on before, and we're going to come also. And we're not actually finished yet, because when he gives his reward to the person with the talent and says, you are faithful in what was little, I'm going to give you responsibility over more? Wait, what? I was going to play a harp, you know? Sit on a cushion. Ring. Actually, I was going to have someone else play the harp. I was going to sit on the cushion in the sunshine. That's better. Wait, you're going to give me responsibilities? What is up with this? And suddenly, what we realize is we're given hints and clues of things that we don't actually know about fully. We don't fully understand what's on the other side, what's eternity for. But I have a sneaking suspicion that everything we're doing in this life is preparation for that life. So the fact that in this life, I am practicing to hear the voice of the Lord, to be reading his word and to say, what does the king want me to do? Makes me, leads me to believe that on the other side, I'm going to hear his voice also. And I'm going to want to walk in what he asked me to do on the other side. I don't know what that is. That is also, I think, part of the mystery of our faith. But it's a beautiful thought. And so now he's saying to, to, to me, Paul is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Because if I start sorrowing, saying, well, they were cut off too soon, they weren't able to finish their work, they weren't able to do their, and, and I, I can grieve the rest of my life and think, and, and I can literally grieve and say, well, if so-and-so, um, here's an example, okay. Walt Disney had a brother who managed all of his finances for him. So when God called me to film, this was years ago, I remember one particular day looking at my younger brother and we were having this conversation and like he didn't strike me that he was necessarily feeling called to be the financier for my film projects. And so I thought, man, what's up with that, you know? And suddenly I realized there was another brother between us who died a week old. I thought Timothy was supposed to be the financier. He's dead, he's gone. I can't ever make movies because my brother that was going to fund the movies is not here anymore. And so in a real way, it, it gave me the actual like, okay, so he would be a, an actual adult man at this point. And it helped me actually grieve in a way that I never had before. But it also showed me the reality that we can look at something like that and say, well, I would have except for, and we, we make other excuses. So we can literally blame someone else's death for me burying my talent because I was going to do this thing, and then this happened, and now we can't do it anymore, and we bury it in the earth. And so that can happen. So this is important to understand, that when someone dies, we don't know what God has on the other side for them or for us, but we're not finished here. So we need to keep listening, keep obeying, keep doing what he's given us to do. Verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. When I first read that as a young man, and I was like, okay, I'm terrified right now. There's something happening with the end of the world here. And it says, comfort one another. I'm not understanding 
why there's comfort here, but I understand it a little bit better now. There is comfort in this. He says, we, the woes of us who are alive will not precede those who have already died. So let's say that we're halfway through the, our, our life's work and we have an unfinished book or we have an unfinished movie or we have an unfinished house. We have something that's not finished and we die. And in that moment, we think, well, their life is cut short, they're finished. But what if, because in the moment that the Lord comes again, they are being raised up and we together are being caught up to him. What if in that moment, that means that they were busy doing what God had called them to do. And when he returned, they were doing it. They were right in the middle of it. They had not stopped. They had not said, I'm finished and buried their talent. They were busy doing what God had called them to do right up to the last minute. There is comfort in these words. For us on this side, we might say, ah, I wanted to read that book. But for the person doing it, he was doing his work to the last minute when the king returned. And there's comfort in that, to think that he can come back and what I heard him ask me to do, I was doing it. So now we have a hope that he says, good job, you are doing what I called you to do. And so as we think about heaven, I think it is appropriate to not just think of the harps and the clouds and the pillows and the cushions and whatever else you were, graham crackers. I was looking forward to graham crackers when I was a kid because my mom said that when I get to heaven, if I still want them, I can have as many graham crackers as I want. That was going to be awesome, right? And so I had all these misconceptions, but I think it's important for us to add to our picture of heaven, the idea that there is a king on the throne who has his subjects before him and he has work for them to do. And as we go out to do the work of the king, we have no more of the world, the flesh, and the devil pulling us back. And we're actually able to go and do the thing that God made us to do, that he wants us to do, and we're able to fulfill his will in such beauty, in such joy, and the pleasure of the Lord is complete in his presence, is that fullness of joy. And finally, we're able to do the thing that God made us to do. All of our life, we were struggling because we heard the Lord ask us, and we were working part of it, and we were accomplishing a little bit of it, and we're doing it, and then suddenly, we're able to do it completely well. So imagine the music of heaven. If the brokenness of the world is gone and suddenly the, those who are gifted are able to play perfectly, their fingers no longer being tired by the strings on that instrument, right? I don't know what it takes, but there's something that God has called each of us to do. And we may finish it by human standards. We may not. The point is when he returns, I want to be doing it. I want to be doing what he's called me to do. So that's my perspective on looking at the talents. That's what I was thinking about is that is, this is heaven is, is we're talking about a master and his servants, a king and his people. And we get to be part of that. So we taste a little bit of it now, but we taste the fullness of it then. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give us this comfort that somehow you're going to join those who have already died with all of us who are, would still be alive at your return. And we will all come together and it will be at the same time in eternity that we will not have abandoned our post, not have unfinished work, but we will have been faithful to the end. So I pray for each of us, for all of us in this room, for those who are listening, that you would encourage our hearts and you'd give us strength and courage to know that there's coming a day when we will see you 
And right now, we can hear you. And so I pray you'd help each one of us to seek your face, to read your word, to understand the, the gifts and callings you've given us and to sense your pleasure and to go do that. Whether it's in the business world, in the ministry world, in the arts, wherever it is that you're calling us, Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear and we want to be obedient to do your will. And when you return, we want to be able to honestly say, I'm still doing what you've called me to do, Lord. If we die before you come back, we want to say, I, I, I was faithful to the end. I kept talking about what you'd called me to do. I kept in, interacting with people. I kept writing. I did everything you asked me to do, Lord. I just wasn't able to finish this one project, but I was still doing it when you called me. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this comfort, and thank you for this hope of eternity. We love you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.